The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Thomas Sanherho. Hi, Thomas. Hi, Don. How's it going? Very well, thanks. And Father Michael Gossett. Hi, Father Michael. Hi, Dom. So, uh, we, what, we get together again uh, this time, and we're talking about technology, and was, as we were, we were kind of talking about before we started... You know, a lot of shows, a lot of websites, a lot of uh, video uh, channels on YouTube talk about the big hot news and the expensive gadgets that no one really can afford anyway. Uh, but we like to talk about issues and, and, and things in the news that um, might be a little more complicated. Sometimes have you kind of need to wade through it a little bit to get to the what it's really about, but also that affect people like you and me and, and those of us on the panel and people who listen to this. So we uh, so that's one of the things we're we're talking about here is that the, the there are two big stories of the week and the, our first one is uh, this story about Facebook and uh, the that several governments not just the American government but the British government and Australia um, have they, they don't want Facebook to implement end to end encryption in their platform uh, in their messaging so Facebook Messenger and I'm assuming they also mean WhatsApp since Facebook owns WhatsApp as well. Uh, so the, the key here is, is they, they think that, so Facebook earlier this year came up with this big privacy thing and we're going, we're going to be all about privacy now, which, you know, welcome to the party, Facebook, uh, <laughs> we're going to be all about privacy. And one of the things they said was they're going to put end to end encryption on messenger. Um, Thomas, can you explain quickly what end to end encryption means for the average person? Uh, sure. I think end-to-end uh, -end encryption basically just means that I am going to produce a message and it has an intended recipient and there is a method by which we can encrypt that message so that only the intended recipient can open it. And it's through a system of public keys. It's already uh, in place on the Internet in a large way. Um, the, the HTTPS that a lot of people recognize uh, uses end-to-end -end encryption basically. Uh, and so what we're talking about now is just a message system so that from my typing the message until the time it is opened by and read by a recipient, it has that same level of encryption, uh, which is your computer has it with a server already. And so this is not a big step. It's just making sure that that it doesn't sit on a server and can just be yanked off of a server with no effort. Okay, that's that's a good explanation. Yeah. And and right now, uh, people, if you have an iPhone, uh, you have end-to-end -end encryption between uh, you and uh, people that you send iMessages to, so the, the blue bubble people. Uh, yeah, it's a big <laughs> right. distinction. Uh, other people who have iPhones. If you send it to people who don't have iPhones, like Android phones, it's, that is not end-to-end -end encrypted. But internally, and so what that means is you send a message, uh, you can read it, the person on the other end can read it, but Apple can't read it. They have no way of, of opening that message. They, 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 they don't even have any keys on their server that they can access to open it. And that means that they can't give governments the, the, the uh, ability to look at it, law enforcement or whatever, uh, because they don't have the key. Even if they get a subpoena, there's nothing they can do. So 
Um, that's that's an important point. And now, so what we have here is we have Facebook coming along and saying, um, you know, we want to do this too. We want to offer this service. And these uh, governments are saying no. Uh, or if you do it, you have to do it in such a way as that you you have a, have the ability to let uh, government look at these at these messages if we give you a legal order. Um, so uh, what's Let's look at the arguments on both sides of this. What's why? So first, let's say why should Apple and others be able to do end-to-end -end encryption, but not Facebook? Because uh, there's lots of other uh, uh, ways of doing it out there: Signal, Telegraph, etc. So if people can't do it on Facebook, they'll just do it some other way. So why why are they? Why do you think they're focusing on Facebook, Father Michael? Do, do you have any any thoughts on that? I wonder if. Uh... As you said, there's there's two sides to this, and I wonder if it's the the kind of use that they're seeing from Facebook that uh, wanting to track. I mean, like the reason they want to get into this stuff, at least in the best sense, is to stop people from doing bad things. And uh, if they see that maybe Facebook would be the place, particularly Facebook Messenger, uh, a place where people are talking and communicating to commit crimes to hurt people, that maybe they see that as a particularly uh, dangerous avenue from from that side of the argument mm, that's that's true also facebook has what uh two billion users now i mean it's got some yeah. ridiculous proportion of the planet uh as users so that would be an element in uh, you know it would grant end-to-end -end encryption messaging to a much larger population than already i suppose yeah i think they've already they've already seen attacks on facebook too in that in that more generalized sense of like uh, the 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 Russian uh, groups that moved through Facebook and made all the fake news, and so I, I think there's already kind of a focus there. And um, it, it's, it's interesting though because Facebook is just the one that's like easy to put your finger on, right? And kind of say this is the problem, but there's no reason why someone couldn't just send uh, a connection uh, from Facebook, like through an email, an encrypted email, to the person that with another connection point. And so it's really not. Right. Uh, you know, there's not there's nothing inherently open about Facebook, honestly. Right, right. I mean, Facebook is uh, the reason they're going out to Facebook is it's the wounded gazelle. You know what I mean? It's it's yeah. easy prey right now. They're they they've got caught red handed, hand in the cookie jar, all the all the you know similes you want to use. Uh, where they they screwed up and let the these Russian bots and all these other bad actors. Get access to people's data, influence the 2016 election, all this bad stuff. And so Facebook is trying to recover. And I think you have a lot of these government officials saying, "Look, you know, they're trying to backpedal and you know get and, and get some some cred back. Uh, let's make it costly. Let's get some of what we want out of them before we, you know, they 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 get all that back." So so there's that. So I want to talk about you know the two sides of the of this end-to-end -end encryption debate. Like first. What's wrong with allowing government, just government, to have the subpoena, like this backdoor technology so that if they submit a subpoena, they get specific uh, access to somebody who might be planning something bad? Uh, Thomas, I know you have an opinion on that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have a very, <laughs> a very solid opinion on this. Yeah. Um, it's, it's terrible because uh, that's not what's being asked for. Um, and, and that's what it's always going to be framed as. You know, it's the it's the well, if you're not doing anything wrong, you don't have anything to worry about argument. And um, that's not what's being asked for. What's being asked for is an open door to all of this information that does not have to be subpoenaed. 
technically to get to that does not have to be uh, go through any review process to get to uh, that. The door is just there and it is completely unlocked. It's like, um, well, we'll put a door there. That's a screen door and we can just stand at the screen door and watch you. Right. Right. And, um, and so that's that's basically what's being asked for here. Um, and, and, and the comparison that's often made is one to um, to wiretapping a phone. Like that's a, that's something that everyone's always been able to do. Uh, it's just like wiretapping a phone, but it's not just like wiretapping a phone. It's like having a faucet that's already tapped to this person's connection that you can just turn on and start getting information from. Right. And that's dramatically different than having to physically go to a location, clip into the location and listen in uh, because that there's there's a lot of systems in place that that you have to go through to get the rights to do that. Whereas with this with this uh, with this particular type of tap, it would just be um, Joe in the office can just go, oh, hey, let's see what's going on with my uh, ex-wife's uh, Internet account right now. And I'm not I'm not saying that that the organization should be responsible for that because obviously the person is at that point but to have it that easy that's a problem do you remember a few years ago where it came out that nsa's the top hacking tools the tools that they use to get into systems and were uh, accidentally leaked out into the wild and then you know the yep. snowden the snowden character who got out there and revealed all the nsa secrets the fact is is once there once this door is there it won't be just the law enforcement and the quote unquote good guys who have it anyway, it will right. get out. It's just the nature of this thing. It, once the tool exists, everyone will have it. And that means that it, then some you know Russian mobsters will be able to hack into your, your messages and that sort of stuff. Uh, and then there's the question of what happens when China demands access to this end to encry encryption and they start looking at messages of, say, I don't know, NBA executives, uh, team mm -hmm. executives, mm -hmm. and looking into their private messaging and then demanding or real stuff estate agents that they're trying to make uh, real estate deals on with <laughs> right. all of their things here. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 a really scary um, it's a really scary thing that I think uh, the the typical argument of if you don't have anything to hide, then you don't have anything to worry about. It does not apply at all. And, and we're living in an age of big data and, and we, we tend to forget that big data means the more data that is available about us, the less secure we are. And what you're asking for here is to leave a backdoor open that allows all of the data to be available about you in this particular arena. Right. And, and that's the way it's going to be used because it costs nothing to warehouse data. You just put a tap on it, suck up all the data, put it in storage until you need it. And then you can go back and sort through it really, really quickly and get everything you need from it uh, immediately, which is not how a wiretap works. Wiretap doesn't like tap your phone uh, five years before the, the case started. Right. It taps your phone once the subpoena starts and it has a limit on how far it can go. I mean, privacy, the desire for privacy is not prima facie evidence of criminal activity or criminal right. intent. Mm -hmm. it, the, the fact is we should want our information or innocuous information or you know banal information about us to be private because privacy is it should be there should be a like some some constitutions state constitutions not our federal constitution but some state constitutions have a right to privacy written into them the idea that we we should be able to sequester part of our life that's that that's just for us or those we the closely designate it, that's that's there's nothing wrong with that, and it's and again, it's not a sign of criminal intent. 
So uh, mm. I, 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 I appreciate, yeah, I appreciate that argument. But Father Michael, do you, do you think about what's what's the other side of the argument? I mean, the what's wrong with letting the government, you know, what what's wrong with uh, encryption? You know, what's the what's the government's argument in in the value? What's that having this type of encryption easily available out there is bad? I mean, is is there much? There's much to that argument from from your point of view. I, like, there's an argument there. I think you could say clearly. We just look at like since I don't know since nine eleven, and the the great fear is someone's out there communicating about something, doing something terrible like this. And if we can do something to stop it, we can. We should do everything to stop it, or do anything to stop it. I think that's that's definitely the fear that's there. Right. Um, and I don't. <laughs> I don't agree with it. I, I think uh, it's especially when you look at like our phones and our social media and how how tied it is, how tied in it is to every part of our life, not just mm-hmm. our bank, which is really serious and our, our money and finances and things like that. But just like you talking to your wife and uh, talking to family members and all that, just uh, all of that is there. And like Thomas said, um, they don't have to look at it right now. They can go search through it later. When they decide to, but um, I think what makes arguments like this appealing is when we point to the fact that there are terrorists using WhatsApp or terrorists right. using uh, end-to-end encryption to communicate. Yeah, that is absolutely true, and it's uh, we have to find a way to to fight these things without making everybody a suspect because that's what it turns into. Right. Did they, they didn't even in the old days they didn't have access to 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 this sort of you know, crime fighting tool, you know, there's the old yeah. shoe leather, you know, getting in, doing undercover work, other, there's all these other things. And it's, it's just a matter of, uh, there, there has to be a, a different way. I mean, so many, there's so many laws about privacy. Like I, I can't, you know, the hit with the HIPAA laws, I can't see my wife's prescriptions at CVS. You know, I can mm-hmm. look at I could, I can take uh, handle all of my, my kids prescriptions, but because of the HIPAA laws, there's not even a way for her to say, no, no, I'll sign a thing and I want my husband to be able to see my prescriptions and me see his. Nope, not allowed. We're not going to do that. And it's like, OK, so on the one hand, we have these sorts of privacy laws, but but we don't have the sorts of things to protect us from the government. Uh, and that's and, that, and and if anything, that's who you got to be, you know, as as the Revolutionary War showed us, that's what we need to be protected from. Right. Mm-hmm. That's what yeah. America's founded on. Yeah, and I, I think I think one thing you don't think about here is the kind of access that some of these things have on your phone without you knowing. And um, you know, we, there, it wasn't very long ago that we were talking about the fact that Facebook had tapped into the microphone, right, and was able to record things from the microphone. So just scenarios here of thinking about the seal of confession, uh, and it can completely be broken by somebody having an iPhone in their pocket and walking in and um, and confessing their sins to a priest. And now that can be admissible as evidence because it wasn't gained by the person or the priest whose the seal is between, but it was gained by looking at phone records that were right. gleaned from these Facebook, um, you know, trawls for information. Mm-hmm. So. It, it makes you wonder whether priests should, you know, put their phones into airplane mode before hearing confessions or what do you think, Father? Do you think about so, that? I was going to ask that question from people that <laughs> might know better than me. That is what I do is I yeah. put, put my phone into airplane mode. Uh, but it, like Thomas just said, does that it doesn't even matter if the other person and so many people their phones are ringing in their when their confession or right, they're reading right. their sins off of their their notes app or something. Mm-hmm. Um, 
does does airplane mode make a difference? I want to put that question out there. Yeah. I, I think well, it's, it's, it, it, it's been interesting to me because my my Google, uh, my OK Google, my Google Assistant has uh, up there it went. <laughs> it has been uh, it has been picking up on things that I've been saying randomly uh, in the classroom lately, which is a whole other issue. <laughs> See, now it's like now it's talking to me and everything. Too. Uh, so it's you know, it's it's a scary thought. Like, it's a scary thought to kind of think like how often and how much um our phones are listening to us. So don't put an echo in the confessional. That's that's just a, yeah. right off the bat. Yeah. That's that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I think airplane mode, you're probably okay. Someone would have to be specifically trying to circumvent your 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 phone. And so you would have to be targeted, which, you know, okay. again, a priest and who has particular parishioners, that may be a factor. Mm-hmm. I mean, it might come down to, you know, priests should leave their phone, you know, maybe not bring their phone into the confessional. And maybe informing, at least informing uh, the people going to confession that you may want to put your phone in airplane mode before, like, you know, this, you know how sometimes confessionals have little signs? That might mm-hmm. be a part of the sign for certain parishes or certain places. Maybe, or, you know, a, a place like a little lockbox to put, you know, a Faraday cage in the, <laughs> in the confessional for you to put your phone in. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, I I have used a confession app where you where you you know catalog up your sins and um, I download it. I do the cataloging. I turn off the Wi-Fi and the and the and the cell data uh, before. Then I catalog up my sins and then I delete the app at the end. Um, <laughs> and then before I turn anything back on, I, I mean th- that may not even do any good. There may still be a some kind of cache file on there or something, you know? Yeah. Uh, so. It's it, it makes you think, you know, that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that these we, we carry and and then there's you know, then there's the watch do, do the watch. Some, some of the watches have microphones and connect to uh, our cellular and that sort of thing. I mean, I, I don't think the church has thought enough about this sort of thing, but I think maybe there's somebody at, either at the bishops conference in D.C. or at the Vatican should be thinking about what are, what are, sort of guidance should we be giving to both priests and the people? about you know specifically confession but also spiritual direction and other private moments i i wonder what priests uh priests i wonder what lawyers do mm. with with their clients um i know that in the yeah. in the military uh i've been to the coast guard station boston with the with the cub scouts we did a tour and before going into the secure communications uh, office there is a box where you put your you slide your phone and your watch and anything else that is electronic into it locks and you you take the key, like a bus station thing and you take the key with you and then when you when you come back out you get your your stuff out of it again. I don't know maybe it's some, maybe that's something I don't know. It's an interesting question. <laughs> I'd like to hear what what the what listeners think about that. Absolutely. All right. So let's uh that's a good discussion. I, I like how that mm-hmm. ended up. So let's uh let's talk about our second topic of the week. This is an interesting one. Um, so libraries over the past couple decades have real have public libraries have really moved to uh, really offering people ebooks as a way of checking out books. Ebooks is a big thing. Everybody loves ebooks now, Kindles and various other devices. And, um, and there are several apps now from libraries, uh, Overdrive, Hoopla, what have you. They all allow you to check out books. Now, one of the things to keep in mind is, is the way libraries acquire books is different from the way that you and I, as consumers, might buy books. They have different. There are different restrictions on them. 
even when it was just, you know, a physical book that, you know, they buy and it comes from the publisher, they usually paid a lot more for that book than you or I would at the local Barnes and Noble. Uh, if they, yes, they still exist. There's a few of them around. Uh, <laughs> brick and mortar bookstores. Uh, and the reason is, is the publishers knew that every, you know, when you buy a book for yourself, you read it and you might lend it to a friend. But well, usually it's one or two people read it. When a library buys a book, 10 people, 20 people, 30, 40, 50, 60, 100 people might read that one book. And for them, that's all lost sales. That's the way they look at it. And so they would charge libraries more. Uh, knowing that given the uh, limited number of people that can read a physical book at a time, you know, one person at a time, um, th th it, they don't lose too much that way. All right, so let's skip ahead to eBooks. There's a, bit, a fight brewing between publishers and libraries uh, where publishers want to put more restrictions. Uh, one of the newest things, one of the big publishers wants to say, um, for when a new, new book is published, Libraries may only buy one cop e copy, one ebook file, uh, for the first eight weeks of the book is released. And so, you know, if you're the New York Public Library, you have one copy of the latest uh, James Patterson book on there, or Margaret Atwood's book book to be checked out. And everybody else has to be on a waiting list until that first person is done. And of co of course, libraries are are balking at that and saying, you know that. <laughs> That's not fair. Like we 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 provide a good service, so um, we already pay a much higher price. Uh, and in some cases, they they pay metered access, which means uh, after the book is checked out so many times, they have to buy the book again. All right. So there's compelling arguments on both sides. I just want to like first lay this out to you. What do you think of of this? Uh, what are your what are your book habits first? Just, you know, do you buy books? You check check out books from the library? Do both? What do you do, Father Michael? Was, uh, my mom works at the library at Franciscan University, so I've got, and my sister's a librarian too, so awesome. librarians in the family, and a lot of appreciation for the library. Um, I I find myself lately, uh, I, I I just got Hoopla, so trying to use that more often, but for a lot of newer, because I read a lot of newer sci-fi books, uh, I'll get it on Kindle, just because a real priest problem is too many books, and <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to trying to really fight that problem and not so it's it's much easier to, <laughs> it's easier to uh fill up the kindle or read i read them on my phone honestly more than even on the actual kindle but uh trying to definitely trying to make use of the library more because like you said it's it's a service and i want to make use of that service in my town not just because my family's been involved mm -hmm. with it but it's just a positive thing it's good to go to the library to to experience things that way just then rather than just finding the things that I'm looking for, uh, you're just seeing what strikes me. And so I like that a lot about a library. How about you, Thomas? I am definitely a library user. Uh, seven kids and my wife as a former librarian, uh, we are at the library all the time. <laughs> and uh, we, you know, we, we're very up on the, the digital tech uh, that, uh, that our library offers. I think that's one of my uh, weekly recommendations from a few, few weeks back. And it's, uh, it's a great way to, to be in books, but not be uh, burdened by them, at least not more than we are. Because like you, Dom, I have uh, several <laughs> bookshelves full of books. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's a, a common problem around our house. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a notorious rereader. So I will read a book three, four times before I'm really fully done with it. 
uh, I've, I've read a copy of Dune uh, that that's made circulation in my house. I've read it 20 times and I keep loaning it out to people and it keeps coming back to me. Thankfully, <laughs> I keep getting it back. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, so there's uh, I, I read a lot. And so I, I very rarely buy books. But if I do, um, I try and get them cheap from like a from a resale or from um, like friends of the library. We'll have sales every once in a while at the library where it's just getting rid of old books from the library. And um, I'll buy those. But uh, yeah, I'm definitely a library user. I, I for myself, um, I, I, I while Father Michael was talking, I was waving my hand around on the Skype call to <laughs> at my shelves that surround me with books. My house is full of books. Uh, both my wife and I are book lovers, and my kids have become such, and I'm very pleased by that. Um, I I buy books that I read for myself. Um, I the books I want tend not to be available from the the library, even with interlibrary loan, for whatever reason. Um, so it, and I, but I try to buy them on sale and that sort of thing. And I, I'm most, almost entirely ebook or Kindle even, uh, just to be more specific. Whereas my wife and my kids are huge library users. And, and I encourage that. Um, you know, we go down the library all the time, our local library, little, we're in a little town. Um, the kids have read nearly everything worth reading in the kids section. They have a huge anime section, which is a lot of fun. Um, uh, you know, manga and anime and, and that sort of stuff. So it's really, it's kind of a neat thing that they have there. Uh, so I, I, and I worked at the li public library in my town growing up in high school. So I, I have a, a great affinity for libraries. Um, but there are arguments on both sides. I get this. So publishers say that, you know, people lining up to borrow ebooks are cutting into their sales. And they also say that most people have an unrealistic expectation of the cost of making books. People say, well, why should the, why should a Kindle digital file cost as much as that paper book? It, there's, you don't have to make, you know, cut any paper or print any ink and ship it. And they and the publishers respond, that part of making a book is actually a tiny sliver of the overall cost. Uh, you know, marketing is probably a huge part. Editing, you know, the 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 money the author gets, all that sort of stuff. So. Um, but consumers are are you know, this capitalism at work is driving the cost of books ebooks down and cutting to the bottom line, and so that if they if they keep losing money to to these other things and they blame uh, public libraries, uh, they'll they'll have to cut back on the, the 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 authors they'll be able to publish. We'll only have to go with ones that we know are going to bring in a good return, and all of these emerging authors who are you know unknowns and mysteries and gambles we're, we're less likely to do what do you think of the publisher's arguments in this case thomas i'm gonna go with the jaded view <laughs> i uh I'm, I, I'm not you know i try not to do this and, and especially in the in the case of like writing because i i i'm I, I read a lot i'm interested in becoming a writer at some point i would like to be writing so don't don't take this the wrong way publishers <laughs> but uh but ultimately to me this looks like and, and the librarians were very nice in the article and not taking this angle, but they did mention the fact that they have statistics that show that their readership uh, tends to buy more books, exactly. which is absolutely the case. So I am seeing this argument from a completely different perspective here. We're watching these publishers get a whole lot of free marketing by putting one copy of their book in the libraries for eight weeks. And what happens 
in their minds is everybody sees how popular our book is for those eight weeks and they can't wait for eight weeks to go get a copy. So they go and get they go and actually buy their own copy. And that's like I can see that going on in the heads of, you know, the marketing and, uh, and uh, business moguls that are running the heads of these publishing companies. Right. They look at the, the, you know, the New York Public Library and the wait list for Handmaid's Tale, say, whatever the new uh, Margaret mm-hmm. Atwood, that's the number one on the bestseller list of the Ta-Nehisi Coates um, book. It, you know, the wait list has probably got, you know, 500 people on it, 1,000 people at the New York Public Library. That's 500 or 1,000 copies of that book we could sell, right. is what they're thinking, right. except it's just, mm-hmm. that's not how economics work. If they can't, right. it, it's not completely transferable. If they can't get the book, a very large number of the people who are on that list won't just won't go and buy the book. They'll right. read something else. Um, it's it's not that inflexible. I think is the economics term. But on the other hand, uh, you you make it you you kind of hit the other point, which is people who patronize libraries are by and large people who buy books too. They buy mm-hmm. a lot of books by and large. Uh, so taking those people off is probably not a good idea either. Uh, Father, what do you think of, of their of this argument? Yeah, I think that last point you made is is the the real one. People who read and people who go to libraries uh, and take a lot of books out are just as likely to buy books. And I I, I am guilty of that on so many levels. But <laughs> uh, it's because my my parents took us to the library almost every weekend as a kid that like I have so many books that I own now that I paid money for. And and so I think uh, they're maybe, I don't know, missing their market or misunderstanding their market, that you're not just getting some random person who walked by the library and took this book out. I was like, well, now I don't need to spend any money on it. You're getting the people that are interested in buying books, and that's why they, they go there to, to find things. And, uh, yeah, it's it's just kind of a sad thing um, that, like, I assume the, the book industry is probably hurting late yes. these days. and. It's sad to see, uh, see that something like this would get in the way of uh, promoting books to people that really they care about them and want to buy them. I'm I'm going to go out on a little bit of limb and say the reason the book industry is hurting is not because people are borrowing books from the library instead of buying them. Mm-hmm. The, what's hurting them is there's so much junk that they're publishing. They're so politically correct with what they do publish that 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 a lot of people are not bothering to buy their track anymore um and so it it, it the, the market has been flooded with junk i mean we have more books published every year now than that people aren't reading so what you know mm-hmm. maybe it would be better if they published uh, fewer books like they've threatening um and i've and i've kept up on some of these other controversies that aren't really tech related but are more book related on um some of the political correctness controversies and uh, you know, the things like uh, the uh, a woman of Asian descent who wrote a book about that referenced slavery of some sort. And it wasn't really about African-American slavery. It was it was a science fiction book or something. But because she's Asian, she doesn't have a right to talk about slavery. And it was it's just this crazy thing. And and people are watching this going, I don't really want to deal with that. And and I'll be honest, I was it wasn't last year, or the year before I, re- I tried to read the Hugo Award winners for the science fiction awards, I couldn't read any of them. I think I finished one of them. They were all just so bad. So like full of John. So that's my, my tangent rant. I think the problem for the book industry is not 
is not that the libraries are the problem. I think libraries are your solution. I think libraries are underutilized yeah. in our society now, and I think they they need to be promoted. We need to have more of it. In fact, I've talked to my wife. I've had my ideas that I think libraries should become public private corporations where they 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 do money making ventures for, to keep themselves operating. Um, I've long said that our library should have a a coffee shop that sells coffee, like a Starbucks sort mm. of thing, you know? Why not? <laughs> I mean, people go yeah. in, they read books. Yeah, I mean, that's perfect. Uh, so anyway. Make you feel like a bookstore, yeah. 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 Um, and they become community centers, and there's much more going on in mm. libraries than just uh, people checking out books. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I, I think, as I dug into this story, there's there are so many issues related. There's It's not just this eight-week thing. That's just the issue they've chosen to focus on. But there are some other ebook related issues, like um, the we ch they charge extra. Every publisher has a different uh, set of limitations, which becomes very difficult for these libraries to keep track of, and uh, the, you know, and and very expensive. And so the libraries have difficulty. Who's who, their libraries are having their budgets cut nowadays? Their budgets are getting smaller, and so their budgets for buying new books are getting smaller. And yet the books are becoming more expensive and that's, that becomes more of a, of an issue. So uh, it's, it's a, it's a tricky one. Uh, hopefully the, the American Library Association uh, is able to, to, to gather enough oomph behind this to push back. Cause that's my point yeah. of, my point is libraries are a public service, especially for people who can't afford to buy books. Um, and I think, I think anything we can do to help them and they are not a burden on the publishing industry. Uh, that's my that's my yeah. bottom line mm -hmm. it really does it seems to me like it's just free advertising like that uh, honestly 100 yeah. percent looks like what like they're not only are they trying to get the free advertising but they're also trying to charge for it you know so right. it's like <laughs> here advertise this book for us and pay us in the process <laughs> it you know just it sounds like taken from both sides <laughs> it's somewhat i mean it might be that the publisher's looking at hollywood and saying look look what they can do with movies mm -hmm. you know they mm -hmm. they have a new movie comes out in theaters okay so Right there, you know, you can't you can't stream it uh, on Netflix or Amazon or any of those places uh, while it's in the theaters. Oh, and now it's available streaming, but it's only for purchase. I'm sorry, you can't rent it for uh, another two months. Uh, right. And now and now finally it's available for rent. Uh, and it's like, you know, that's the, and, and so Hollywood, they they maintain a little bit of this initial monopoly and create this artificial restriction on on availability. Which, you know they they could release it Netflix does with its with its original content day one everybody can watch it no extra cost it's part of the service you know and and that's what I think a lot of these other industries are looking at going yeah I want some of that <laughs> I want right. some of that that big movie business money although you know they're well but look Netflix is kicking Netflix <laughs> is kicking the movie business so maybe exactly. they're looking at the wrong model here <laughs> right right I mean wh what happens when a publisher comes along who right who comes up with a subscription model exactly that would be an interesting how much would you now there's an interesting question how much would you be willing to pay a month for unlimited books isn't Delivered that kind of what Amazon has <laughs> a little bit uh, a li it? well Kindle Unlimited I mean it's sort of like that except when you okay. dig into it there, it's not as unlimited as they like to make you believe. Okay. The, the 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 catalog. I mean, there's some good stuff in there, but the catalog is not everything. Okay. Right. Well, and, and I think that the important thing there is curated 
books. You know, this is a we're talking about the things that people are going to be reading. Yeah. And it's a really interesting space because Netflix, Netflix realized this. They walked in and they said, let's make our own stuff and let's get people talking about our stuff. And, right. and they realized that they could they could drive the conversation uh nationally and globally by just getting out in front of the ball and making their own stuff and making it decent. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you had a subscription service like that uh, for books where you were curating items, you were picking limited numbers of artists, you were making sure that the quality of the of the media was really good and you were uh, pushing this stuff out, you could generate the conversation that then turned into the revenue for the subscription service. And it kind of builds itself <laughs> you know it's it's an interesting idea because if someone came along and said i'm not i'm not i'm going to start a publisher from scratch built on the subscription model where we go out and get our own authors we build up from scratch like again remember netflix in the beginning was other people's content but eventually right. they 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 kind of turned a corner and said we we can't survive on other people's content and then that's when it netflix really exploded house of cards i think was their first big hit and mm -hmm. once people said, oh, Netflix original content, what's that? I, that's not Friends, the reruns, you know, uh, I'll watch that. And suddenly that's really most of what people watch on Netflix these days. Uh, so it's if someone came along and built a publisher along that model where I'm going to start a new publishing house built around a subscription model, but we're, 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 it's not going to be other people's books. It's going to be our curated stuff. And it's gonna. We're gonna have the our, the best quality um, fiction, science fiction, romance, history, nonfiction. You know all the different elements, um, and all for a subscription price. What would you pay? What would you What would you pay for something like that? <laughs> I, I I would pay Netflix money for something. Yeah, I would. Like yeah, that. absolutely. Yeah. Ten, fifteen dollars a month. Yeah. Yeah, I think if they found like Netflix did, got a couple big things where. Uh, I don't know, like, so Netflix, they got some of these Marvel shows, and they were just yeah. gigantic. If you got, like, a Stephen King said, I'll do a book for this service. Right. Or just some huge author like that, that would be, that would kind of pull people in. And we never yeah. dreamed a few years ago we'd be watching Netflix the way we do, so who knows? Well, you can, you can even start your model with, like, um, classics that are already in the public domain. And, and say, okay, we're going to curate classics that are in the public domain that kind of represent the the thematics that we're going for so here's the the science fiction public domain uh content that we can share with you and just get the you know the 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 free content that's available in that public domain arena and share that out okay so this is the kind of science fiction author we're looking for this is the kind of horror author we're looking for and then get people to come on board that are willing to write kind of in those veins right and there you go. So you got your content already built from the beginning, and then you can really build new content from there. Yeah. And in fact, it could be a little of, of both of those things. You know, you get your big yeah. name authors, you've got your, your general available, uh, you know, pu public domain content, and then your new authors that you're developing on your own, bringing in. I mean, that's an interesting model. I, I hope somebody does it. I'm going to throw it out there that uh, this is a public domain uh, offering of an idea. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're on record. I want uh, I want to see someone someone try to do that because it's an interest. I mean, it's, it's certainly not a slam dunk. I mean, you've got to it, yeah. there's a tricky balance here that you've got to get ro things rolling fast enough to get the income coming in to support 
the new authors that will really sustain the the, the system over time. But it's an interesting idea. I'd I'd like to see that. I'd, I'd be willing to to put some money behind that if you know some a monthly subscription on that if I uh, if that came around. All right. I, I like how uh, our initial topics become these interest. You know, they kind of evolve into these interesting <laughs> things at the end of our discussion. So I I, these, I really appreciate it. Yeah, these deeper discussions you talked about at the there beginning. That's happening. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about. So we're going to move on from that topic, and let's talk about uh, a little bit of something that's in the headlines this week, which is uh, if you're a Mac user, you know that the new Mac OS Catalina is out. Uh, taking a trip to Catalina Island, uh, where you will be stranded if you are using 32-bit apps. Uh, so uh, the reason I bring it up is um, I, I, Catalina is out, and I'm not upgrading yet. And why is that news? I am a a, a day one upgrader usually. Uh, if when, as soon as it's out, I don't usually do the betas. Like I want my computers to actually work. But uh, uh, when the when the final version is out, I figure that that's that's good enough for me. I'm ready for it to go, and I and I do it. But this time around, uh, Catalina is a bigger upgrade than uh, most, and probably even bigger than Apple has really been telling people. I mean, they they haven't been hiding the fact that you have to be careful upgrading. But there's uh, there's more to this upgrade. Probably it's probably the biggest upgrade since they switched from uh, the old Power PC to the Intel uh, chips back in the day. Um, this is the point at which many things break, uh, software wise. Uh, and the reason for that is, uh, without getting into the details too much, uh, we are moving from 32-bit uh, software programming to 64-bit software programming. What does it mean? There's a lot of means. It means the software tends to be more modern, faster, more capable, address more memory, that sort of thing. Um, you don't really need to know what the difference is, except that there is a difference. And while Apple has been supporting the older software for a while now, while warning that it's going away, those all those pop-ups you've been getting are that say you're, this software is not optimized for future Macs. That's what this is. So if you have apps still that aren't um, 64-bit compatible or 64-bit apps, if they're still 32-bit, they won't run. And that's a bit of a big deal. Um, m most of the big software, Office and that sort of stuff, is 64-bit. Is, is but there's still some stuff like, you know, if you run a print house and you have a $30,000 machine that's 15 years old uh, and the company that made the software to run it has gone out of business, you probably have 32-bit software running this giant part of your business. And you'll have to have a Mac running Mojave forever, or as long as you own that equipment. So, um, so, so th there is a couple of things you can do to kind of prepare yourself beforehand. One is an app called um, Go64 from uh, Saint Clair Software, and I'll put a link in the show notes. And it, what it does is it scans your computer and looks for software that is 32-bit, and it will tell you either this software is just not going to work. Or it'll say it. This software relies on some 32-bit things. It may work, but it might it might not work. Um, so, uh, for me, it it signals on Adobe uh, Creative Cloud software, which includes Adobe Audition, the software I use to edit all these podcasts. Uh, mm -hmm. So I'm a little worried about that. Now, Adobe, I've looked online, and Adobe says Adobe Creative Cloud 2019 works just fine, but I still see that signal. So I'm going to hold off a little bit. I'm going to hold off yeah. to Catalina <laughs> point one or two uh, before. Um, and then there's some other things like there's a, 
uh, a game I play uh, called World of Tanks, uh, which I just discovered this summer and a lot of fun. The kids and I love it. And uh, we, you know, drive around blowing things up with tanks. I mean, what's not to love? Uh, plus, it's plus it's educational because the all the tanks are historically accurate. And uh, <laughs> uh, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. And uh, but <laughs> but it doesn't work because it relies on it's a Windows app that runs through some software called Code Weaver uh, that allows you to run Windows apps on a Mac. But the Code Weaver people say uh, it's it's harder to update our software for Catalina than we thought, and it's going to be a while. So I'm I'm kind of holding on that. Uh, and I have like my label writer that also prints my stamps. Also keeps telling me that it's not updated. Yep. Oh, it's just so frustrating. So what do you guys think of, of all this? Uh, Thomas, I know you're you're running on what? Uh, Linux. Linux. Uh, well, I mean, I have, I have Macs at home. Uh, you know, Macs are my uh, my bread and butter computers. They're the okay. ones that everybody uses that uh, like right now I'm I'm speaking on a Mac. That's that's what I use for Skype and stuff like that. OK, Um but we're having a similar problem in the Linux community right now. Come uh, January, Python 2 is being uh, completely killed. And so everything needs to be running Python 3. But a lot of the Linux mainframe is on uh, Python 2. So there's going to be a similar problem come January for us, too, uh, where it's like, you know, pick. Do you want to run a downgraded version of your thing or do you want to run the upgraded version and have the chance that stuff's going to break? Uh, so I feel you, <laughs> I, am, I am there with you a hundred percent. Uh, I know that I've got stuff on here that still runs in, um, 32 bit also, and that the developers just aren't planning on making a 64 bit version of it. And even, even with this coming up, they just don't have the time to invest in upgrading right. their, their software. Right. So. Uh, and, and, you know, there's other software out there. You could switch or whatever, but that's there's always an expense in that and a hassle. Mm -hmm. Even if it was free software, changing your workflow to accommodate, you know, a new way of doing things because every software is different. Uh, it's always a hassle. So, uh, yeah, that's why I'm holding up. Father, Father Michael, what do you think of uh, of that problem? I mean, I'm usually a pretty early upgrader when it comes to uh, these Mac operating systems. Um, I'm glad you mentioned Go 64 because I will see that because this is <laughs> my MacBook Air is the computer I use. I don't really use any other computer. Um, I take it take it to school. It's 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 the one that I use, and so I will definitely be running that and seeing what's going on. Yeah, I mean, there's so much that looks good in Ca in Catalina. There's the Catalyst, which which means that developers can pretty quickly move a, a, an app from iOS to, to Mac, which is really kind of cool. TripIt has just released a Mac version of their software, which uh, TripIt is that, that travel software, that's just re which is really great on iOS and would be really handy to have on a, on a Mac. Uh, so there's, there's that stuff. Uh, I, the new iTunes, iTunes has, has gone away and been replaced by um, three separate apps, music, podcasts, and all of the syncing stuff, the phone syncing stuff is now in the Finder. Um, so, oh, and Sidecar, which is lets you use your iPad as a second screen for your computer, usually a laptop, obviously, uh, if you're out and about, that would be really neat. And, you know, that sort of stuff. I really would love to take advantage of that, but I'm just, just, I'm going to hold back. I'm holding off until at least a point one and maybe a point two release. Um, and we'll see. And, and, and maybe I'll forego playing world of tanks for a couple months to my to my <laughs> wife's joy <laughs> I'm, I'm intrigued about it too because um it's mac is one of those uh companies that prides themselves on not having forked communities uh yep. they are really good about keeping people updated 
Uh, they are normally in the very high percentage, like the kind of you would want these grades kind of percentage uh, of current uh, current mode users or current operating system users. Right. Um, so uh, this will be an interesting this will be an interesting shift because it is kind of like drawing a line in the sand and saying, OK, guys, you got to come into this new space. And, uh, you know, Microsoft went through a big uh, upheaval of this uh, moving from uh, Internet Explorer into the newer age of uh, Edge and all yeah. of the, the Windows 10 and all that kind of stuff. And I'm sure they lost users, but at the same time, they're so huge in the community. You know, you've only right. really got two, two operating systems to choose from when it comes right down to it. You're right. either a Mac user or you're a Windows user. For most, for the most part, for the most and, part, yeah. You know, even as a Linux geek, I recognize that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and and I mean, Windows is even worse. I mean, I've when I worked for the Archdiocese of Boston, I started there in two thousand and eight, and they were still running Windows two thousand, and we didn't upgrade mm -hmm. till Windows XP on our systems until like two thousand twelve. Like oh, wow. oh gosh, yeah, like XP, <laughs> like that. They were just about to turn it off at the at the in, right. in Microsoft headquarters. Oh uh, my goodness! Oh, I, I I had a friend uh, in the accounting office who said that when she started there uh, at the Archdiocese in the late nineties, they were still using ledger books for some things. Like, oh wow! <laughs> so the church tends yeah. to be a little behind on these things. So, but yeah, yeah, but Microsoft is notorious for having people who don't upgrade. You know, users who don't upgrade a mm -hmm. large base of it. Apple has always prided themselves on, you know, within 30 days, 75% of our users have upgraded yeah. and that sort of stuff. And and they make it very compelling. I actually went in and turned off uh, automatic updates on my computer so that it doesn't accidentally update. And it keeps reminding me, but hey, these updates are here. I'm like, I know, yeah. I know. Uh, <laughs> Just so. give me a little bit of time. Let me mourn it. Yes, yes. Uh, fix my game and I'll come. Right. <laughs> so just that's right. just a little bit of the headline for today. So uh, very good. So let's move on to our picks of the week. Uh, Thomas, let's start with you. What's your pick of the week? All right. So I don't know if this is a if this is a new for thing, new for people kind of thing. But Humble Bundle is really, really cool. Uh, you've probably heard of it. You might have heard of it in the context of video games. Um, but listen, there are 10 bundles on Humble Bundle right now, and only two of them are games, and only three of them are directly game-related, okay? So go check out Humble Bundle from time to time. They come up with new bundles every month. Uh, you can get some truly fantastic uh, groups of books, uh, some really neat software, uh, some amazing uh, just chunks of things that you you need to get started like if you wanted to make video games and i know i'm going with video games but if you wanted to make video games they have a unity package right now that's a mixed media bundle so it's not just unity which is a free program but a bunch of assets that go along with it that help you make video games more easily but they also have like a linux and unix uh bundle so if you wanted to learn about all the stuff that i'm nerding out about uh you can go and get that and learn all about the, the linux and unix bundle uh through O'Reilly. So, so humble bundle really is essentially every every day or or maybe every week or whatever it is. Maybe they, they have different lengths of time. They offer a discounted bundle of software. Sometimes it's right. games. Sometimes it's even just one game. Like they have a Star Wars Battlefront two for five five ninety nine right now, which it's Windows only. So I'm, I'm not <laughs> <laughs> no temptation there, I guess. Uh, so. Uh, it, there's uh, but there's like you said there's bundles of things and the different bundles are are different lengths of time but 
Uh, yeah, I've I've paid attention to it. I, there isn't a whole lot of Mac stuff that I've run into, but mm-hmm. um, for certain things, it can be really useful. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, a- and, and they're cheap too. I mean, you're, you're talking about uh, most of it's uh, donation stuff. So what what they're doing is they're really running these things. They're having these things offered for free or for a dramatically reduced price to them. And then they have the community buy-in and they offer the the buy-in to a charity. And sometimes it's a charity of your choice. Sometimes it's a charity that's associated with whatever you're buying. Uh, but you're only looking at paying, uh, you know, $15, $20 to get the whole bundle. And the whole bundle is like, in in the case of some of the books that I've gotten, I've gotten like Python bundles before. And it's been... 14, 15 uh, O'Reilly books that, you know, normally retail for $40 a piece. And uh, they're in the bundle for like 20 bucks. Uh, and wow. the, the 20 bucks, not only is it 20 bucks, but it's 20 bucks that goes to charity. So it's not even like I'm just paying the machine. <laughs> oh, so that's even better. Yeah. So it's not yeah. just it's not just you get a deal. You're also supporting charity with it. It says uh, exactly since 2010, they've donated over $154 million to charity. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I like that. All right. I, I, I wish I'd, I I that I didn't Rick. I think I must have heard that part of it and forgotten. But uh, uh, yeah, they yeah. they support a variety of uh, pretty good charities, including the Red Cross and Make a Wish and some you know World Wildlife Fund that sort of thing. So uh, plus others, uh, they do. Cool. All right, uh, Father, what's your pick of the week? Mine's one that again people may have heard of before. Um, I go through little spurts of productivity apps and to-do list apps and planning apps. And uh, I've tried lots of them and I keep coming back to things by altered code. Um, it It's complex enough that you can do a lot of different things and repeat things and make different projects and areas of work. Um, but it's not overly complicated. I, I know I've tried like, uh, no, what's the big one? OmniFocus. OmniFocus. And I've gotten into it so many times and then just disgusted by it after a week because um, it's too much. <laughs> and, if, and if you're not deeply into the whole getting things done system, um, it's not going to work. But things I find is a really good middle ground between just a, a checklist of, of things to do and like a real a good app uh, for, for planning. And I have it both on my phone and on my, on my Mac and they sync and uh, it's just, I find it as a really easy and pleasant way to to keep track of the many things I'm supposed to be responsible for um, without trying to like learn a whole system to get into it. And so things I've stuck with that for several years and I always sort of rediscover how much I like it. Yeah. I've, I've been an OmniFocus user for close to a decade now, so I'm, I'm not going anywhere mm-hmm. with that, mm-hmm. that. That is, but if I were to be switching from something, if OmniFocus went away tomorrow, Things might be the the one at the top of the list for me because I, I've I've looked at it and it is pretty cool. Uh, but uh, yeah, I I am one of those people who who tells who will tell you if you don't see me write it down in some place, usually in my OmniFocus, mm-hmm. I, I, it's not going to happen. It's yeah, part of yep. my brain. <laughs> Very much so. Yeah. yeah. As I've I've gotten into the bullet journaling lately, and it's mm. um oh yeah I, hard copy uh same kind of thing. So twenty five years ago for me it was the Franklin Day Planner. Uh, I've always mm-hmm. been this way, I'm, but part of the reasons people say you're such an organized person. I was like, no, no, I'm a very disorgan- disorganized person <laughs> who have found ways to compensate for that. Uh, exactly. So I have yeah. <laughs> I have a lot of organizational tools that help me not be disorganized, which is my natural inclination. So uh, that's a great pick, Father. Thank you for that. Uh, so my pick this week is a piece of software that might help you when your time when it's time to upgrade uh, to your next operating system. 
Uh, it's called Carbon Copy Cloner. And Carbon Copy Cloner from uh, Bombic Software. Uh, it's a, that's a hard C-H. Bombic is, uh, is the name. I, I've heard uh, the, uh, the developer talk about it. Uh, what it does, very simply, uh, it copies your hard drive of your Mac to uh, an external drive. So it creates a bootable copy of your hard drive. So that yeah. if something were to happen to your internal hard drive, it will, uh, you could plug in the external hard drive and start your computer reference and be back where you were from the beginning. Uh, I have it on uh, both my laptop and my desktop. And every day, every night, it makes it, it, it doesn't do a complete backup. The first time it does a complete backup, and then it incrementally backs up whatever's changed during the day. And it moves the change files into a sequestered part of the drive so that I can also, so that, you know, if you were to just copy it every day, if I didn't realize I'd screwed something up like three days ago, that would be gone and I'd, be, I'd still be stuck. This lets me go back and recover some of that stuff over a period hmm. of time, depending on how big the external hard drive is. Uh, so <clears throat> the other thing that I recommend with it is, in addition to doing your you know daily backups, is before you do an OS upgrade, get a fresh hard drive, cl a clean drive, whether it's one you've already had or you 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 know you purchase one that is the size of your internal drive, and I call it my Priya OS up, upgrade clone. Clone it, label it, stick it in the closet, and it stays there. And in if in a month or two months something has gone dramatically wrong or something when I upgraded really messed up a piece of software or really messed up a file, I can pull it out of the closet and bring it back and plug it in and boot up from it. And it's got all the stuff that where I was just before I did the upgrade. So that's my recommendation. So uh, Carbon Copy Cloner, there's also another uh, piece of software called Super Duper. They're both really great pieces of software. They're great. They do essentially the same thing um, that, you know, each has a slightly different feature set and they are always improving uh, on their what they do. Either one will do you well. I preferred Carbon Copy Cloner myself. And uh, so that's my recommendation. So. Um, excellent. I'll go back to one of your mantras about that too. When you say, if you don't have it in three places digitally, you don't have it. <laughs> right, right, exactly. If it doesn't exist in three places, it's it doesn't exist. And you, hopefully, at least two physical different locations, because I still do a yeah. backblaze uh, backup into the cloud of my hard drive as well. Excellent. All right, so uh, let's uh, wrap things up here. Before we do, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create secrets of technology including Jacob J., Jacqueline B., Jeffrey L., Sean L., and Kathy N. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the Secrets of Technology and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. What did you think of our discussion about uh, the end-to-end -end encryption in Facebook or about ebooks and libraries or about upgrading to macOS Catalina? Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash technology or the SQPN Facebook page, facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or send us an email to technology at sqpn.com. And you can find the links to all the articles we've discussed and to our uh, picks of the week on our show notes at sqpn.com. If you have not yet done so, please subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, pretty much any place you can get a podcast, including on YouTube, the SQPN YouTube channel, where you should hit the bell to get notifications. Until next time, 
Father Michael Gossett. Thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. Thanks, Tom. And Thomas Inerho, thank you as well. Thanks for having me. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Technology on StarQuest.